Welcome to Citizens Midweek, a podcast for our church family where we take a deeper dive into this week's sermon. I'm taking over host responsibilities this week, and Jacob is playing guest role, so very excited about that. It's Tim. Excited to jump in. Here we go. Fresh off of the Sunday gathering, literally recording this right afterward. Uh, I'm taking over host duties, but we got two wonderful special guests. So we got Jacob in the guest chair tonight. It is the same chair I sit in every time. But yeah, it could but be the guest chair. If it's that's like what the, we need. the dealership. It's moved sure, to now where sure. I'm the host chip. Uh, also, we're joined by church member and friend Ellen. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thanks That's for me. Being here. That's you. That's me. Um, so we just got done talking about Ephesians 5, looking at uh, really 15 through 33, but in particular 22 through 33. And just as a way of recap real quick before we dive into what I want to talk about, we talked about specifically marriage roles between a husband and a wife. And Paul's two commands he gives to both groups. So he says, husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit to their husbands. And we talked about how in both of those, it's joyful a sacrificial serving of the other one through specific shapes. So for husbands, it's responsibility, authority, leadership. And for wives, it's through joyful submission coming up under that leadership as they are a team advancing uh, the kingdom of God and through their family. And so one of the things we talked about is there's errors to avoid. There's errors of dominance and errors of passivity. So for the men, the area of dominance is to be a tyrant, to not use their leadership to serve, but rather to be self-seeking. Or the error of passivity is to be a coward, to not step in, to not serve, to not lead lead with courage. And then for women, we said the error of uh, passivity was to be a doormat, to just not ever share, to not use their supporting strength. And then we said the error of dominance was to be a usurper, to go against, to always want to push back against their husband's leadership. And in all of this, we talked about that our greatest need is the good news of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, the gospel of grace that we put on display through our marriages, but also as the hope for our marriages. And so we spent a lot of time uh, in the sermon, uh, longest sermon I think I've preached so far for citizens. It's very long. Um, but talking about applications for marriages and for couples coming out of the sermon. But I, what I really wanted to do and what our teaching team really wanted to do is to get this podcast out at the same time to help equip the single folks within our church family of uh, if all of the scriptures are God-breathed and useful and profitable, as we see in Second Timothy, what does Ephesians 5 have to say? And really all of uh, God's design for marriage and for singleness from Genesis 1 all the way through have to say to single people and how should single people think think about and apply these truths in their lives, all that kind of stuff. So uh, I'm kind of going to open it up and kick it off with that question. And you'll let y'all take the floor wherever you want to take it. We can just have a convo around that. But really the goal is, okay, as you're hearing Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 preached, what are you thinking about and what are you taking and applying into your own life? So I loved how in the sermon you immediately took uh, Ephesians 5 back to Genesis, because I think it's important to remember that like, this passage does not take place in a vacuum. It's actually part of a broader theme in scripture that is uh, seen kind of in like a biblical theology of marriage that begins in Genesis and continues on through Revelation. Um, and so for me, I think about um, how, you know, take this all the way back to Genesis, God institutes marriage and marriage becomes this theme that you see all throughout scripture as a way uh, of God, like identifying the way that he relates to his people through this covenant of marriage. Um, and like very quickly, you see this theme of, uh, adultery and of like the term in the Bible is like whoredom yeah. that is used to describe like God's people's response to him. Um, and that is like 
God's unfaithful wife. That is this image that you see all throughout the Old Testament. Um, and so when you come to Ephesians 5, like all this time, all throughout the Old Testament, you've seen this imagery. It's in uh, Ezekiel. It's in I- Isaiah. I mean, it's everywhere. Hosea. Hosea, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Isaiah. Yeah. It's all everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you see this imagery of like God's unfaithful wife, but then a promise that God will redeem and restore his bride. And so you come to Ephesians 5 and you actually see this this picture be realized and you see that like Christ is a fulfillment of that as it it hinges the Old Testament view of like using marriage as a metaphor. And then all of a sudden Paul is saying that like, no, the church is the bride of Christ and like God will present or Jesus will present his bride unblemished without wrinkle or stain. And so you see this like hinge of looking back, but then also looking forward to eternity. And so, you know, that's just like basic biblical theology of marriage. But I think specifically how it relates to singleness is you see like how union with Christ is that hinge. Like marriage is meant to be a metaphor of like union with Christ. And as a single person who is in Christ, like I have the very thing that marriage is meant to point towards the Mm -hmm. way that we all do. And so in that, like marriage uh, is something that like is a beautiful thing on this earth, but it's meant to point towards this like greater, more beautiful picture um, that will ultimately be realized in eternity. But like in that, like God is not withholding from me and like I am lacking nothing in the kingdom of God because I am unmarried because I have the very thing that marriage is meant to be a picture and a foretaste of, which is union with Christ. And so I think that like, that's the beginning of a biblical theology of singleness. I think by fully understanding a theology of marriage, it actually gives this beautiful picture of singleness as well. And I could expound on that more, but I'll let y'all hop in with your thoughts. Yeah, I love uh, you were talking about that union with Christ piece that both um, affects our marriages, but our marriages also, like you're saying, are that ultimate point to, mm-hmm. right? Where even he talks about um, presenting the church in him, holy yeah. and blameless. Like yeah. like the whole theme of Ephesians that we've been going back to constantly over and over and over again mm-hmm. is this reality of union with Christ, that in Christ we are chosen, in Christ we are redeemed, in Christ we are forgiven. And then marriage being that picture of that, uh, the true lasting for eternity covenant that God makes with his people and how marriage covenants are just a small picture and glimpse of this ultimate covenant that all of the bride of Christ gets to be a part of with God. Could be anything you would you would add kind of add to that? No, I mean that's I think the part that's always been really impactful to me, and you said it really well already. Is that uh, just because I'm not married doesn't mean I'm not participating in this spiritual theological reality? Because Christ has invited us into union with Himself before we may have been married to somebody here on earth. So you know we're participating in what Christ intends to do through His union with the church in whatever season of life we find ourselves in. And there are certainly ways that that's uniquely played out in your marriage relationship that I don't know, but also it's being played out in my personal single relationship that you can't ex- necessarily know. So just the fact that like we're not me as a single person, I'm not exempt from or unable to experience sanctifying you know relationships in the church that we have together. Because whether you're married or single, we're both invited to be wedded to Christ together and work that out through you know being church family together. And, and both like singleness and marriage images the gospel. Because yeah. um, it is true that like marriage shows a unique shape of the gospel mm-hmm. and it points towards that. But I think like if marriage shows the shape of the gospel, singleness so- shows the sufficiency of the gospel. And so in that, like you can image just different, like beautiful aspects of the gospel 
in either your marriage or your singleness. So I think a lot of, I hear a lot of people who are married that are like, oh, it's just so amazing to almost like finally be able to image the gospel. And I, uh-huh. I get it. It takes, that takes sure. its form in a really unique way. But again, like singleness completely paints a picture of the sufficiency of the gospel um, in a way that marriage doesn't necessarily. Um, and I think so, that's so, beautiful. So that's good. Let's say more on that. So we talked about, you know, Ephesians 5 gives this clear image of like how mm-hmm. husbands love their wives, wives sure. submit to their husbands, how that's a picture of Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. Tell, talk to us more about, um, I love what you're saying about how singleness points to the sufficiency of yeah. the gospel. Talk more about how that plays out, even in a day-to-day, week-to-week yeah. kind of basis. Well, I'll, I think I'll root it first theologically of how that plays out. I think you see this really interesting unfolding of uh, singleness in scripture. So in Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, there is no such thing as singleness. There's only marriage. And then in the Old Testament, it progresses and you see, okay, all of a sudden singleness is something that is not wanted. It is a disadvantage. It is looked down on. Um, And then you move towards the New Testament. And all of a sudden, Paul starts talking about singleness that is actually a gift. And maybe you ought to remain single for the sake. Yeah, it is better to be single. And then fully in like New Jerusalem, uh, you know, you were neither given in marriage nor, you know, uh, Matthew, what is that? It's Matthew 20, maybe? Like Somewhere that. Matthew. Yeah. Um, Who I've been married to. Yeah. Right. None of them. The woman who's <laughs> yeah. married all seven uh, Exactly. Uh, but basically yeah. saying like singleness is the uh, default state in uh, Revelation because you have, or like in New Jerusalem, because you have un- like full union with Christ. Um and so I think kind of framing it from that perspective is really important. So that, that's great. Like, that's good news, right? The gospel yeah. sufficiency, like, the, like sure. the future is mm-hmm. that we're single. But like, what, what hope does that give you on a Thursday at 10 a.m. as oh a single person? Oh, my goodness. Person? I think mm-hmm. if you're speaking specifically to the hope uh, as it relates to like, oh, will I ever be married? And kind of maybe even like the despair that can come with that. And it's one thing to be single when you're like, oh, I'm a sophomore in college. I don't have a boyfriend. (laughs) I'm single and I'm so sad. It's another thing to be like, hey, I'm 30 and I'm single and I live alone and I'm lonely. That that's a different ball game, you know? Um, and so I think that knowing that, like knowing that picture of marriage and of singleness, uh, it makes it so that, you know, you wake up every day and it can be very sad that you're not married and you can desire that, but it's not some like devastating, crushing thing mm-hmm. that God is withholding from you. And I think that by changing your mindset, like you can, right. it reframes it in a different way mm-hmm. in which rather than being like, I don't know, just maybe a sad single person. And it's okay to be sad in your singleness, a hundred percent, but also like viewing it as you are a foretaste of eternity. You know, you are literally being a foreshadow of what is to come in New Jerusalem and to live your life with that in mind. And all of a sudden, like, that's not something that you should be ashamed of or that is should be looked down on. Um, it's something that's beautiful and pointing to a greater reality that we will all one day live in. Right. Um, and in that, you see the sufficiency of God. My first thought about I guess the question was, and I I do this well and not well through various moments of every single day, but remembering not to demonize or villainize something about me or my season of life that God hasn't done. Like God's not said that being single is a problem, that it's inherently flawed or sinful, or it doesn't inherently mean that I've done something wrong, that I'm not married. Um, 
So to make sure, you know, for me that I'm not painting myself in this really shameful or, you know, negative light that I've done something evil or bad or I've been unable to attain something that I'm, I'm supposed to obtain just because I'm single currently. And sometimes that's really easy and sometimes that's not so easy. I mean, it's really easy for me to accidentally feel like this season is meant to be like, or I've failed in this season or something. Especially, I mean, you know, one of the ways that this comes up for me a lot is like we're in quote unquote wedding season right now. And it's hard sometimes for me as an, a, a very adult man, I'm not a kid anymore, to like go to another wedding for another 22 year old and want to celebrate them and be excited for them. And I genuinely mean that. But also it's like, man, it was a lot easier for you to do this than it seems to be for me um, because our you know, society, for better or for worse, has painted marriage like this necessary kind of next step, especially in the, in the church of like, I have to get there to, to obtain some sort of maturity that I can't have without it. And that's kind of what I mean. It's like, and I'm glad you said the stuff you said at the beginning is like marriage does uniquely point to the gospel and so does singleness. So both and yes and. Um, but not, I think sometimes I have to be careful to not have like a, not until I'm married attitude, I guess, about something that I need to be sanctified in or something I need to mature in or something I need to, you know, bring to Jesus and humility and confession. But, um, yeah, I mean, just, I'm not, I'm trying not to villainize the season of life I'm in as a single adult man, because Jesus did not do that. (laughs) He didn't say that this is a problem. I think I love what y'all are saying about the, like, it's okay to not like it (laughs) you know what I mean all the time like it's okay to be sad it's okay to be lonely I think sometimes the church does a disservice by almost pushing so hard against singles of like well you just this is an idol for you like don't let marriage be an idol for you like don't you know don't want it too much or like the Lord's you know waiting for you to find your contentment in him before he gets like and just really unhelpful things of like there's a there's freedom in our lives with Christ to mourn like you were saying Ellen like mourn something you don't have while also like like finding contentment in Christ doesn't mean always necessarily being happy about right. the contentment right. piece. You know what I mean? Right. And I think even giving that freedom and space in our humanity with all different types of loss and all different types of absence, right? So whether that be absence of kids, absence of a spouse, right. absence of a career, ab- like absence of like whatever it may be. I think even giving that space for the single folks in our church family to be content and struggling, right? right? And both being okay. I also... I think it's interesting just thinking about uh, Jacob, what you're talking about with some of the singleness stuff of the way that our culture talks about it. It's like either marriage is like for a lot of people, especially I think in the South, this arrival moment, right? Where it's like, this is the dream. Like you get married, you have the two kids and the white Mm -hmm. picket fence. There's also this whole other movement of like singleness is the dream, like prolong marriage or don't get married because that's the ball and chain. That's the, what keeps you down, all this kind of stuff. So I love what you're saying about like this both and of like marriage being being a good thing to not like rebel from out of right. sinfulness, but also not to like long for in a sinful way, sure. but this both end of, of singleness being a good thing. Right. Uh, and also something to a way to glorify God. Because singleness is not an excuse to not have matured in certain ways. Like if you're in Christ and if you're, you know, participating in the church and if you're being sanctified by the Holy spirit, single or married, you should be maturing. But I think what you're saying is like, there's kind of this very non-Christian American social media field, single culture. That's very much like we can have more fun and more enjoyment and more pleasure and more, I mean, just we can get the fun stuff out of life easier or longer if we're single longer. And that's not the goal either. I mean, for the Christian, that's the goal isn't to enjoy your life necessarily in that way. 
the goal is to be sanctified no matter the season of life you're in, to be mm. more like Jesus. Yeah. So we're not this whole like, oh, well, I'm 27 and single, so now I can afford to go out more and I can afford to party more. It's like, well, no, I'm 27 and single. How do I need to follow Jesus? Yeah. Um, in some ways, that's easier and harder, but... So here's a couple of things I would love to hear from you guys uh, that I'm kind of just tossing around, all that kind of stuff. Um, the first is apply, Ellen, what you're talking about with the new heavens and the new earth, right? This Jesus getting approached by this woman in, in the book of Matthew and or this man and asked the question of like, this person's been married to this brother and then he died and then this brother had seven, who she married to in, in the new creation. And he says, hey, in, in the new creation, there's no, neither marriage nor giving in marriage, right? Talk to me more about how that future picture of not only our union with Christ, but our union with each other, like our celebration of each other, like King, like the kingdom of God being the stuff of both like, not just you and God forever in eternity, but like you and other believers in eternity forever as well. Like talk to me about how that impacts how as single and married, we should view the role of church community and other believers in our lives. I think like single people absolutely need community and married people need single friends in their community. Um, not just like, Oh, we only have married, married couple friends. Um, I think it's important to realize that like part of being a church family means that like single people are not single in the family of God and that uh, you have a place there. And I think honestly, like I've seen couples in our church, I'm thinking specifically of the Swifts. I don't know if I can call them out on this podcast, but just like how there are couples in this church who have completely welcomed me in as a part of their family and not like, oh, you're a part of my family until I have kids and things get busy. You're a part of my family until we have a real family in town and then you need to stay away. But just like radically embracing me as their family. Um, and I think that something that married people in the church can do to help ease that burden of singleness, because it can be like a burden. Like you were saying, it doesn't mean like you're just happy about it all the time, is to like radically... Uh, invite single people into your lives even when it is like no but this is really family time we're going on vacation okay that's like really family time it's like no invite them on vacation with you you know um one of my uh, one of my favorite stories in relation to that is i have a, a, a group of friends from uh back in Colombia that he they basically there's two people and they were just they were getting into their kind of mid 30s and single and they were like we should do family vacations and so they just started every year they do they call it friend cruise and it's like some single friends some married friends and they all just go on a cruise together right. and it's like they're mm-hmm. like this is our family right. like we are going to save for this and go and enjoy and make yeah. memories together like this shouldn't keep us from going and right. doing these things and exploring these opportunities and like right. enjoying this part of our lives which i think is just like you were saying just a beautiful picture of yeah. that even yeah, and I think too, like married people uh, inviting single people into their marriage, and you you even hit on that tonight of allowing single people to speak into your marriage and not disqualifying them from speaking to a certain aspect of your life simply because they've not experienced it. Because at the end of the day, we're all Holy Spirit and dwelled believers that we have God inside of us, and so we are qualified yeah. to speak into somebody's marriage, um, even though you're single. Yeah. The, uh, I, you know, in my early twenties, I had the really huge blessing and benefit of being a part of a church family that was very, um, married and kids centric just in terms of like the majority of the church was that like the majority of the church was married or married with kids. And for the whole 
this, the church I was at before I came to be a part of Citizens, I was consistently the youngest and one of the only single people in the church the whole five years that I was there. Like no matter how old I got, I was always almost the youngest. <laughs> um, and I was in a life group where I was consistently the only single man there for three years. Um, and that was, I mean, it was one of the biggest blessings of my life because you're talking about aptly how, you know, married people should invite single people into their families. And I just got to experience that of, and it really reframed my kind of perspective in my early 20s when I was coming out of college. I went to a small Christian school where everybody, you know, the whole ring by spring joke that everybody's being coy about, but they really kind of expect it to happen that way. And, you know, I was 22 and moving and like, man, I'm not married yet. <laughs> what happened? What did I do? Um, and then b- immediately stepping into a, a small group environment where I was the youngest and the only single person. And I had to be really challenged in a way that was really helpful to be able or to kind of let myself be able to be friends and family with men that were not exactly like me, men that had wives, men that had kids, men that had wives and no kids. Um, and for me to to be expected to be in fellowship with men not exactly like me was one of the most fruitful you know, seasons of growth for me and the way that we do church family. I mean, I learned more about seeking fellowship of believers when it had to be men that, that their lives were just not like mine. I had a lot more free time. I had a lot more weeknights open. Um, and it was still a call to be in fellowship together. And that's, that's kind of my encouragement for anybody single or married. It's like seek fellowship with the people in your community, whether they're experiencing the exact same season of life as you are, you know, we do a dis- we do a disservice when we consciously or subconsciously, uh, put aside the other, right. right? Cause I've seen it where like, and even just think that we don't have stuff to learn. Right. So right. it's like, you know, there can be this pridefulness in married folks. And I see this even in myself with yep. like married with kids of like, well, like the, you know, the married people without kids have a lot to learn from me. And the single people have a lot to learn from me as they watch me and mm-hmm. pridefully can think like, Oh, but I don't have anything to learn. And it's like, no, that's not true. Like in the body right. of Christ, like we all have much to learn from one another. Right. Um, and much, much to like help with one another. And I also think like not intentionally or unintentionally ousting the other. So there right. were folks that like, you know, I'll speak from personal experiences. Like when you have a kid, there are people who are like, oh, well, they're not going to want to hang out with us anymore because they have a kid. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Or like, oh, well, they got married. So like, you know, he can't hang out anymore because he's married and vice versa. Right. Where we then as married people were like, well, we just need some married friends. And it's like, sure. What you mean by that is like, we need other, (laughs) but it's like, we also need single friends and we need married friends. So I think even just being conscious of how do we intentionally or unintentionally set aside the other for our own personal preferences of only putting around us people that look like us, think like us or in the same life stage as us. I've seen a lot of suspicion of the other in the way of like, I've I've had married friends that are like, man, they're not going to want to hang out with me and my wife. And I'm just, I've been on the other side of that conversation. It's like, please invite me to hang out with you and your wife. Like like some of my long-term friends from high school, like I went to go hang out with him and his wife. We went and got dinner and had another friend who was single that just thought that was so weird. And it's like, well, I've been friends with this guy for 15 years. I love him. So obviously I love his wife. I was in their wedding. You know what I mean? Like why? Like these are both my friends. I both care about them. They're both, we're all following Jesus together. Like, I just have no problem being a third wheel. And I think sometimes we make a bunch of jokes about the third wheel to try and mask some sort of anxiety that is just really needless in this conversation because like we are called to be in community together. We are, we are part of the same church. Let's have fellowship together and stop making all these weird assumptions about, well, they don't want to come because it'd just be my wife and me and them, or they don't want to come because they would be the only married people there or that like let other people make their own choices and yeah. invite the people that you're in community with into your life, no matter what that looks like at the time. 
all of that goes back to the, the idea of union with Christ and the fact that we are united with Christ right. and therefore we are united with everybody else who is united right. with Christ yep. inextricably. Um, and there's a great quote by Todd Wilson. He wrote this book, Mere Sexuality, which is a fantastic book. Mere Sexuality, like mere Christianity, but yeah, like mere, mere sexuality. Huh. Yes, it's okay. yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, but there's a part and he says the, uh, how does he phrase it? He says, the waters of baptism are thicker than blood, but the blood of the lamb is thickest of all. Meaning that when we uh, enter into life as a Christian, that bond is deeper than any familial bond you have because it is the blood of the lamb. Like all of those who have washed themselves in the blood of the lamb are united to Christ and therefore united with each other, uh, whether you are single or married. Um, so I think that just... Yeah, for sure. And it's the one that lasts forever, right? Yeah. So that's what we it's get to eternal. do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just, that's what we do when we eat together, when we fellowship together, when we worship together. Like those, that is the stuff of heaven. Like that's mm-hmm. us practicing for with the people that we're going to do it with forever, right? right. Um, right. And I think that's, that's such a powerful like... Yeah, that it is is deeper because it is also the only one that's lasting, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we vow in marriages, we don't vow forever. We vow till death do us part, right? Yeah. right? And then then we're caught up in this forever kingdom. They will always be your brother and sister in Christ. They won't always be your spouse. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I think that's really powerful. The the waters of baptism are thicker than blood. Right. Yeah. But the blood of the lamb is thickest of all. Yeah, yeah that's, good. that's good. Yeah. Any parting kind of gospel encouragement for the single folks in our church family? Uh, maybe a parting like warning uh, to the married folks in our church family. Uh, so you can take this either, either direction. My challenge for anybody that finds themselves single right now is to not limit the scope of the people that you can have deep rooted relationships with because of the, you know, the status of their marriage or singleness. Um, you know, seek relationships with the people that God has given you. With If you're in this church with us, which most of you listening are, that's the people in your community group, regardless of if they're single like you or regardless of if they're married like you. Um, you know, dig deep roots and and seek the deep wells of relationships with whoever's around you. Um, I just have been really disappointed sometimes in the lines that we draw. Of like, I've only got to hang out with the younger people just because they're single, or I only have to hang out with the single people. Excuse me. Um, and I just think we really sell ourselves short on. You know, the, the men that have been the most impactful in my life were impactful because of what God is doing in them that they shared with me, regardless of if they're married or not. And if I cut them out as an, as an option because I wasn't married like them, I really would have missed on becoming the type of man that I am today because of those men. Um, so don't, you know, take charge or take, take uh, I don't know, take advantage of the resources that God has given us, which is each other. We've been given each other with the spirit inside of us. Um, so don't limit your options. Yeah, that's great. Ellen? Yeah, I think my encouragement, it's just reiterating everything I've been saying, and that is that you, know, you are lacking nothing. Those yeah. of you who are single, you are lacking nothing in the kingdom of God. And actually, you are, in your singleness, are able to be a unique picture of eternity uh, that I think is incredibly edifying and necessary in uh, the family of God, and that we need people to image that and to remind us of the sufficiency of God and the sufficiency of the gospel and the hope for eternity that we have. And single people are in a unique position in that we can be a foreshadowing of that coming reality. Guys, thank you so much for being on it. Um, Thank you so much for just being 
willing to be vulnerable and share out of out of honesty of, of where the Lord has you. Um, you contribute a lot to our church family, not just in like, thanks for saying good things about singleness, but just in who you are and your relationships with the Lord and what you bring uh, to our church, to the people around you. Um, you guys are a blessing to our church family. So thank you. Um, Real quick, just want to remind you guys, uh, we're continuing on in Ephesians. Uh, we got summer studies coming up starting this week. Um, so sign up for those of you who haven't yet. Uh, we'd love to see you all there. And that's all the time we got for today. So see you next time.